0: This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely Free, So join today at www.bonsai.film. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our biweekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails. Just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights for free.
1: Hey, y'all. This is Kristen Baker, director, writer, and producer. and the new CEO of the streaming platform, DivaBoxOffice.tv. You might know some of my movies. They're LGBTQ holiday rom-coms, Season of Love, I Hate New Year's, and Christmas at the Ranch. And I'm so excited about the one that's coming out this holiday season, Merry and Gay. Right now, I am working on my third an LGBTQ thriller called Scare b &B. I'm just super excited to talk about all things film, which is my favorite topic in the whole wide world.
0: Kristen Baker, welcome to the Make It Podcast.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: It is my pleasure. And I would love to give this audience a deeper dive on who is the uh, amazing and singular Kristen Baker. So I'm just going to read from this. And if you want to amend to this, And add some new detail, add some deeper color, feel free. Sure. Kristen Baker is an award-winning director and Emmy-nominated producer. She's been playing with video producing and storytelling since she was 13. After her family got her their first VHS camcorder, she started out directing music videos and SNL parodies, which sounds hilarious to me, with the neighborhood kids, and moved on to start her own digital distribution and production company. That's Tello Films. She's the co-founder of Tello Films, which focuses on stories for the lesbian and queer community. Tello is the first lesbian queer network to receive a Emmy nomination. The story series "Sex and Execs" has received a 2017 Emmy nomination for Austin Powers actress Mindy Sterling, Outstanding Actress in a Short Film, Comedy, Drama Series in 2019. The series Riley Para, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, received two Emmy nominations for actresses Liz Vassy and Carolyn Raderay. Christian is also passionate about directing, and was awarded Best Director for her work on Maybell at the 2016 London Raindance Film Festival. Christian is a member of the Producers Guild of America, likewise, as well as the Television Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Kristen just wrapped, directing her fourth lesbian queer holiday rom-com, Mary and Gay, which I purchased earlier today. And I uh, will talk more about that and, and want you as an audience to go do the same, support independent film, and is working on the second feature for her thriller franchise, Scare b called Scare b b Double Booking, that follows Christmas at the Ranch, I Hate New Year's, and Season of Love, which was the first Hallmark-esque lesbian queer holiday rom-com. I'm uh, thrilled to be talking with you because there's a lot of different places and angles to go, you know, in this conversation. Doing the research this week, we sort of discovered that you've sort of marched down every lane of independent film that likely exists and have experience to share with this audience about those things, but I'd love to take it back a little bit. And I did struggle to a degree, to the to the degree that one struggles to to talk to amazing people about where to start this conversation. And I thought yeah. if it's okay with you, we could start with Ruth, Granny Ruth.
1: Uh, who is yeah. now I mean
0: 96 yes. years old. And yes. uh I wanted to talk about how her and your mother Carolyn, who seem to be strong into women, independent women, of, you know, in their own right, influenced you uh, and, and gave you the self confidence to be an independent filmmaker, especially in this space, the LGBTQIA space. Yeah, yeah, wow! What a what a.
1: Did what an amazing place to start first. And just thank you so much for calling out the the strong women that I'm so lucky to, you know, be part of their um, lineage. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, on two different levels, I think the first one is both my granny and my mom are unbelievably creative people. They have always made something out of nothing. They have made The Ordinary extraordinary because my granny grew up in the Great Depression and both my mom and my granny just didn't have a lot of money. So whenever they did something or wanted to try and like do something amazing, they had to figure out with their limited resources, how to do it. And I think that is the essence of indie film is trying to make the movie look as as amazing as possible with your very limited resources. You know, you're you're in there playing with the big dogs, right? Like you're in there with the Marvel right. movies and you're in there with, you know, the, you know, the $50 million movies, the the, the you know, and now the Netflixes and the Amazons who just have these incredibly deep pockets and you're trying to do everything that you can with what limited resources you have. And that is the essence of my granny and my mom. And that, that is the lineage that I take from them and not letting anyone or anything stop you, not letting limited resources stop you, um, and just kind of pursuing what it is that you want, um, and, uh, and making, you know, making, making people's lives better through whatever art it is that you, that you choose. So, yeah, that's what I get from them. And I just carry that with me into every production.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And you're right about your mom. She's an she's an author. And um, mm-hmm. I probably should, sh- I don't know why, what this would mean to the audience, but I also have a, a great aunt, Ruth, that just turned 102 years old. So, I think what we are discovering is for longevity, put down the NAD+, plus, the Metformin, and the Rapamycin, and go with just naming your kid Ruth. Like, just name your kid Ruth, and they'll live to <laughs>
1: 100.
0: That's the exactly. secret. There can't just be two Ruths in the same city that are, like, knocking yeah. knocking down, you know, triple digits in age here, or knocking on triple digits. Yeah. So uh, I
1: think you've I, discovered the essence of longevity right there. Just you got it, Chris. Name, guy, ma- name your kid Ruth.
0: There's this guy that um he used to be the oldest man in the world, Kristen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And his name, I believe, was I believe he well, his last name was Overton. And I he was a d- okay. direct descendant of John Overton, but through slavery. Because I John Overton is a white guy and this guy was a black guy and he was living in Texas and they got him on There's a YouTube video and I'll try to get Elise to put this in the show notes so people can link out to it and I'll send it to you, Kristen, directly. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a short little documentary piece. And he was just talking about his secret to longevity is having a little bit of coffee every day, a little bit of whiskey and having something to do. Wow. So, so just like uh, you have to be able to wake up and have something to do.
1: Yes. I love it. Do you know, Chris, let me just also jump in here and tell you that my granny has a happy hour drink with Kentucky gentleman whiskey every night at five, five 30. So I think there's also something to the whiskey and the happy hour drink. She doesn't yeah. miss it. She has a very specific thing. And so my mom and I have decided to have happy hours as well. Cause I'm like, if, Granny Ruth does it. Let's do and this overton dude. He was like, Whiskey, like, yeah, there's something there too.
0: <laughs> imagine, imagine being 112 years old as a black man in America. Ooh, so, yeah, the whiskey seen. had to be doing something,
1: had to be doing something because, <laughs> yeah, amen, amen to whiskey,
0: <laughs> amen to whiskey. Yeah, I, I have there. It's like, it's like anything else, like. The medicine, the dose makes the medicine.
1: Yeah. (laughs) If you have
0: 10 glasses of whiskey at night, you're going to have an early death. If you have one sip, it might actually kill off something in your body that shouldn't be there.
1: It's medicinal. It's
0: medicinal. Right. Right. We (laughs) know alcohol kills stuff. So, we you know, there could be, that's like the most dumb thing I've probably said out loud, but maybe there's something to it. (laughs) You know, maybe there's something to I think, it.
1: I think there is. Listen, this has turned into a wellness podcast, so there you go. No,
0: why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> there, there are no rules. That's why I love podcasting. No um, rule.
1: That's right.
0: You, you grew up. Now, this was interesting. You grew up in a YMCA household. I did. Yeah, and I'm sure. You know, for this global audience, I mean, I think they're going to know what YMCA is. I don't think I have to uh, described yeah. too much. It's a young men's Christian association. Yeah. It's a great organization. Um, I have a connection to it through my own children. Um, you know, like my daughter was a camp counselor at Wichiwagan for, I don't know, four years, five years. So, um,
1: incredible.
0: Yeah. I personally love it. And, uh, I am curious how, gr- what is it like growing up in a YMCA household. And what I mean by that is, is your father uh, has a building named after him. He re, he re, uh, did a raise and, and was able to have funding uh, and raise funding for YMCA in the multiples of millions of dollars. Uh, He's got
1: two, yeah. He's got two named after him, Chris.
0: Right, two, so, so this is not just, you know, I wanted to clarify that, like for those listening, she didn't just have a YMCA membership. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like right. our family's on the inside of this, making, making things tick. So I'm wondering how did yeah. that work prepare you for the independent film industry? Mm-hmm. um, And what was it like growing up in a household like that? Cause I think there's some other connections down the line we're going to get to uh, regarding sure. this.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so what it it, it, it did a couple of things. Number one, Um, we, there's, in my mind, being able to go to summer camp every year, we were really lucky to be able to experience summer camp, day camp. Um, you know, we were running around YMCA's learning to swim, playing sports in the after school program and, you know, all the staff knew who we were. So we had, you know, talk about like, you know, it takes a village we were being raised by camp counselors and staff members and they would, you know, come over to the house, all of, you know, we would have parties and, you know, our Christmas parties and holiday, you know, holiday parties and everything. Oh, we always just had a big Y family. Um, The other thing it does is it has afforded us to be able to, um, you know, the YMCA, it being an international organization, we would be hosting people from the YMCA that's in Kenya ymca that's in mexico ymca that's in germany um so we would have people coming in from all across the world who would stay with us because they were doing they wanted to experience the american ymca and then i was able to go over to germany i was able to go to hong kong um africa through the ymca to do visits to do exchanges so it really broadened you know you don't make a ton of money in nonprofit, right like we weren't we we were very comfortable growing up but we were by no means you know could we have ever afforded like being able to go to Germany for two months if it Mm. wasn't for you know I was a camp counselor you know at a YMCA program and we had places to stay and so we were really lucky to be able to do different things like that so I think it you know, it broadened my understanding of the world, which I think anytime you're doing storytelling, understanding different perspectives, understanding, you know, how different people live um, and the different work that they do is critical. Um, And um, yeah, and it was just a very loving household. And I think that helped. you know, in filmmaking and especially indie filmmaking, you take a lot of risks and you take a lot of chances and you kind of have to leap out there sometimes and trust your gut. And I think because I grew up in such a positive and affirming environment, like the YMCA, um, it gave me the kind of strength and courage of character to feel okay if I failed, to not feel like my world would end or, you know, um, or I wouldn't be loved or my value was based on success. So, you know, I think it instilled in me a lot, a lot of self-confidence and gave gave me wonderful experiences that I wouldn't have had if if I didn't grow up uh, in 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 the white families.
0: You have been all around the world and in film so much of what makes a film outpunch its budget is location and set design yeah. for all the places you've been around the world. If you had to pick one, where would you shoot your next film if it wasn't here oh. in the states?
1: Just of all uh, the places you've well, been. Well, I know. I, I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I'm actually s- I'm going to be in London and Oxford um, oh, cool. at the beginning of December sc- scouting for a movie. So um, I absolutely love London. I love Oxford. Um, so I am going to be shooting there uh, next. Um, I absolutely love um, Italy and the Amalfi Coast, mm. uh, which is like Positano, Sorrento, Amalfi, um, Capri, I would love to shoot something in that area. Um, So, or really anywhere in Italy. So I would, for production value, I think Italy is just stunning. Um, So I'd I'd love to shoot something there.
0: Yeah, I would think the Amalfi Coast, along with Greece, are perfect rom-com settings. It Uh, allows the audience to escape and feel like they're in another place. And then sort of fall in love with the characters falling in love in this beautiful place, you know? Oh yeah,
1: the backdrop is just stunning. Yeah, I think Greece is another great spot too, I agree. But yeah, I love the Amalfi Coast so much.
0: Right, <laughs> you know, you don't necessarily want Manchester by the sea if you're telling a rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> <You don't. laughs> there's just, it just there's a benefit to doing it. Um, there, There is a phrase in, in filmmaking and in art in general, you can be safe or you can be great. And mm. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I, you just mentioned taking risks. Do you? Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on that quote?
1: Oh yeah, no i i I would I would definitely I would definitely agree with that quote. I would definitely agree with that quote. I think I think safety is can be very boring. Mm. Yeah. You know, Any time, and in, in fact, I you know I'll just use the example of Marion Day, which you'll be able to see. That script, I think one of the reasons that it's great, we have the first non-binary character and non-binary actor being uh, in a holiday rom-com. And I didn't have to do that. I could right. have played it safe and just been also kind of edgy and been like, well, these are you know two female characters. But I looked at this as an opportunity to really lift up some voices in the community that are underrepresented. And that is definitely not playing it safe because I thought non-binary, Hallmark's not going to look at this. Lifetime's not going to look at this. There's just two conservative areas that anytime you use a they-them pronoun, they're barely able to get, you know, LGBTQ in there. And right. I knew I was going to be alienating potentially, but I, I wanted to make it a greater movie than if, I had, than if I hadn't chosen that. So, yeah, I'm always trying to buck safety. And I and I think it makes a difference.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true. I've always felt the irony of that. And this is goes beyond lifetime and Hallmark. So I'm not just calling them out. But I think the irony of that is since the beginning of time, we have sort of made this ridiculous agreement with our own logic that says, I know that the performers I'm watching in my TV show or my favorite movie are some of them are going to be gay. Right. But as long as they yeah. don't tell me, <laughs> I'm okay with them. It. <laughs> it's this weird right. thing where, <laughs> where like you can put on, you can yeah. put on the reality glasses and then you see things as they are, but you're yeah. allowed to take them off so you can see things as you want to see them. But what might be Mm -hmm. interesting is if you had those reality glasses and you couldn't Mm -hmm. remove them. So everywhere you went, you saw things Mm -hmm. as they are and it might be an interesting sort of way to insert sci-fi into your life. That's actually reality. So I've just always thought that was really funny. I mean, from the beginning of time and then before it was even an LGBTQ thing, it was a Jew thing, right? Like, Jewish people were having mm-hmm. to change their names.
1: Yep. yep. So like,
0: like sort yep. of the birth of the pseudonym in a way. I mean, not officially. I mean, authors have been doing that since the beginning of time. But in the movie business, that's where it came from. But I think somewhere people knew, hey, that person's a Jewish person. They, they knew that. Yeah. But as long as they didn't tell you that through their last name, or through their behavior on screen, we were okay with it. And it just, it's a weird choice we make as an audience. And, and as, as a reflection of that corporate America behaves in kind because they're, they're interested in, in green, Uh, which is, which we're interested Mm -hmm. in too as filmmakers. Um, So anyway, off, off my soapbox. Uh, (laughs) 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 What. I am curious about this. So you went to college at MTSU and then you also followed that up with with Springfield College. And it's fascinating to me what you can learn about a thing in college versus what you learn in practical behavior Mm -hmm. and practice. So I'll give you an example. When we decided to be in the film business and we have three feature films, all in worldwide distribution, some short films, comedy specials. When we decided to be in film, we actually, at the Genesis, Kristen had a decision to make. We were going to either spend a bunch of money and go to film school or give filmmakers a bunch of money and then be on set with them. And we chose the latter. We chose to invest in films and be on set and learn that way. And I think it's been a much wiser decision for a variety of reasons I won't go into here So with that as the context, Kristen, what were some of the things you learned in school technically and practically, as opposed to what you could only learn on set?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you learn kind of in school, you sit and you learn all the rules, right? Here's what a wide is. You know, you learn the names of things. Here's what a close up is. You know, you know, you can't cross the line you know, kind of the like you can said. I, like can, the I, can I interrupt? interrupt? So you,
0: what does yeah. can't cross the line mean?
1: Um, it's the it's the perspective of the camera. So it's like, um, oh, you know, it's like you can't uh, you can't go from one angle to an angle that is that that messes with the perspective. Um, that like would make someone standing in a completely different spot because the camera's in a different place.
0: Right. And so I'm with it's you.
1: like, when, yeah, so that so that's crossing the line. I, I'm not great at it, but my DP knows it really really <laughs> well, but they, they teach you that. So they're like, you know, when you go and like, you go to someone's hand, it, you, you can be on one side of the hand or on the other side of the hand. One side of the hand is the correct perspective. The other side of the hand is the incorrect perspective. It's like that kind of thing based on where the person is standing Um, so yeah you 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 know you learn those technical things and then maybe they let you play around with the equipment so they teach you how to turn the very expensive camera on and how to maybe how to change a lens and like maybe you get to do that or maybe you get to play on the editor like if they have an avid you might be able to touch it or sit in class while they touch it you know and then you learn why the great movies are great you know, like, here's what they did with this perspective, and look how they did this with storytelling and spatially. You know, so I think you can, you can get a good theoretical view of, of different things. Um, but, you know, I remember we had some college kids on uh, Christmas at the Ranch, and uh, they, they went to a school in, in Nashville, uh, mm. for film and they said you know we we learned more in the two weeks on this movie than we did in you know the six months that we've had in our school because um, we were making them run around and they were understanding why this you know why the bounce is placed here and why the what the flags do and it's just really hard to to teach when you're sitting in a classroom you know but and I, you know so, I did learn a lot of things. I learned nonlinear editing, um, you know, I got to play around on, on those machines. And then I actually had a TV show because uh, we had a cable access channel and um, I ended up creating a TV show um, that was like an like a entertainment tonight kind of movie, movie review thing. And mm-hmm. so I learned how to work with a team on that. But I mean, I was, I was lucky that I kind of busted out of the classroom um and and did some practical things
0: so you wouldn't say say that one is an advantage over the other just that you kind of need both
1: i think it depends on the kind of learner you are right Mm. like i think what school can do is if you're not someone who's super disciplined or super focused which which you know it just depends on the kind of learner you are some people do really well sitting in a classroom and that's how they learn. And that's how they understand things. And then they go out into the world and they, they do it. Some people can't sit and learn in a the classroom. They need to be out there experiential learners. So I, I think it really just, I wouldn't say one is better than the other. I would say, what kind of learner are you? And how do you want to learn? Right. And where do you want, you know, if you had college money, where do you want to, where do you want to put it? Cause I do think there are, I mean, as I've, I've taught in, you know, as an adjunct in some fun schools, and I would like to think that the teaching that I did was helpful, um, you know, to kids, but, but I also know that there are some kids that really got a lot out of it. And there are some kids who just needed to be on that set and, and run around with the camera and understand how to do things. So, yeah, I would say what kind of learner are you? And right. that's the environment you should put yourself in.
0: It's a great point. Really great point. And, and thank you for, for sharing that, that, that opinion. Uh, I want to hop into Films. Why Films? Like, why is that the name? And, uh, how did you get it off the ground and feel free to talk about your co-founder and, and how you two split responsibilities.
1: Yeah. So, um, so Telo uh, stands for television online. that's why yeah okay yeah no no worries um and i and i you know my my co-founder and i who who, she's no longer involved with the company um also felt like it was a very like it was so close to hello that -hmm. it also had like a really um like a positive just the way you say it you know like hello hello and so (laughs) uh so we kind of liked the um (laughs) the way it sounded and 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 you know as we spoke it um you know I just I I started I was at my job and I started thinking about getting back into filmmaking and I thought you know there's all these streaming companies starting and none of them are really focused on anything niche and it was when YouTube was like really starting to pop and so you know Again, I don't, I don't know why I thought it would be a great idea to start a streaming service as a, you know, a plucky little lesbian in Chicago, Illinois. Um, but my co-founder, whose name is Nicole Valentine, um, and I just thought, let's make the lesbian YouTube. And I was like, cool. Do you know how to code? She was like, nope. I was like, well, we better find someone. And so, but it was an idea that wouldn't let go of me. And I don't know if you've ever had those ideas, but there are certain ideas that have come into my life and into my world. And it's like, it will not leave you alone. Some stories are like that. Some scripts are like, you know, some scripts are like that. And some ideas. And this was an idea that would not let me go. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to start a streaming service. So it was originally going to be like the lesbian YouTube. And so we found someone we, I, I, I went out and raised some angel investor money from some friends and family. And got just enough to find like an indie guy who was like willing to build the site for us. I mean, the site went through like five different iterations before it ended up to where it is now. Because early in those days, now you can start a stream. Anyone can start a streaming service if you have just a little bit of money. There's so many out there that are turnkey, and then you can have apps. Well, there weren't there were kind of apps at the time, but nothing like like now. Right. So we really had to figure out everything. Uh, and finally, you know, we, we went through two different developers and then ended up on um, someone who still works me to, with me today. Um, and, uh, and, and then, so Nicole and I, in the original um, iteration of, of Tello, I knew we needed to have original content that would differentiate us from the other streaming platforms, which, we are also really popping up all over the place. So we would do interviews with people who were either like in the entertainment industry who were lesbians or people who had played lesbians who are very popular. So we'd fly out to LA or fly out to New York. And Nicole was the on-camera person. So she would do the interviews with people and I was the camera person and the editor. So I would edit the videos and, and we'd post them online. And then eventually it was a free service. And after about a year and a half, you know, I, I kept my full-time job. She kept her full-time job. So we did this on the side. Eventually it oh, yeah. was like, we need to charge for this. Like, we're going to have to charge for this. So we need to figure out how to have bigger original content, not just interviews. And I ended up partnering with a filmmaker named Nancy Lee Myatt, who was a showrunner um, on some LGBTQ projects. And she had a script called Cowgirl Up. And I took our last pennies and I said, we're going to have to do this. And this is the way we're going to like, you know, and we're going to have to put up a paywall because we weren't making any money on advertising revenue. And neither was anyone else at the time. It was like at that time there was the dot-com bubble burst um, as it relates to like media. This was 2010. 2010 2011,
0: okay, 2011
1: yeah 2010. so right after the 2008 crash yeah yes um, so and no one people were like oh no one's gonna pay for content no one's paying for content make your make your things 30 seconds well we never did that um, and so uh, we just knew that we needed to have as much original content as possible. We need, I needed, I mean, I remember literally doing the math and I was like, if I get 10 lesbians to pay me $3.99, I will make more money than, than on Google Ads than I ever could. Because we just won't make, we couldn't get the volume, we couldn't get the number of people. So we d- went into production on a show called Cowgirl Up. We started charging, and that's kind of how we continue to survive. And then eventually um, Nicole and I kind of parted ways and I had owned the company outright um, and kind of, I've, I've kind of gone through different iterations of creative partners, just, you know, depending on where I was physically um, in the world and where I was like um, creatively. So I've been really lucky that, you know, I partnered with some really fantastic people um, on my filmmaking journey um, who've come in to you know, Tell great
0: stories. How does the system of companies you have work? Like what is the place for Tello versus Baker Productions versus Diva? Um
1: Yeah, yeah. Great,
0: versus great Diva question. Box know, TV. A
1: lot. Yeah. So, yeah. So, how, so can you talk about
0: the infrastructure there and, and, and what sure. how we can sort of patronize each one?
1: Yes. So um so Tello, I co-founded. And then in 2018, I brought in, um, some business partners and, um, they own the majority of the company. Mm -hmm. And so right now, um, I have stepped away from the day-to-day operations of Tello. I'm still an owner. Um, but because of the way the company's structured, um, they took over, um, operationally kind of running and managing things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in in kind of moving away from that i had someone approach me about relaunching diva box office so diva box office was a uk-based streaming platform that was still lesbian focused that was a tvod um just a renter by and they had uk focused um projects on there and when they i had was telling some friends about you know kind of the transition that i was making away from tello mm-hmm. and um They said, do you want to take over Diva Box Office and like launch it and and just like run with it? You know, we'll license the the name to you. And so I'm sort of partnered with Diva Media Group, which runs Diva Magazine, which is a UK-based lesbian, queer, female magazine. And they do like Lesbian Visibility Week. They do the Diva Awards. They're super involved in the UK. And they're wanting to move into the U.S. market now. And so this Mm. was a great way for them to move into the U.S. market and get the Diva name, you know, a different vertical streaming. And it was a great way for me to be able to go, you know, I'd love to pivot and like kind of do what I do for DivaBoxOffice.tv, what I did for Tello. And so A. Baker Production is my production company. So I used to produce under Tello and everything was owned by Tello. So there's a lot of original content on Tello that's under the Tello banner and produced by them. And Got so um, when I when um, when I started making movies that weren't under the Tello banner, because again that would have involved my business partners who are running it, and I really wanted to have control over the story and over the IP, I created a Baker production so Got that it. I can that's and that's the banner that I'm making movies under.
0: Got it. Now uh, now I understand completely. I'm com- I'm I'm with you 100. percent. Uh, yes. And then, and then diva box TV is sort of the streaming arm of a Baker, right?
1: Correct. That's what it's
0: going to be. Okay. Got it. Beautiful. Uh, I have noticed that you have a penchant for holiday (laughs) rom-coms, uh, again, some of your films, uh, season of love, Merry and gay Christmas at the ranch, uh, I hate New Year's, just to name a few. Uh, What is it that's drawn you to holiday rom-coms and are any of your stories uh, autobiographical?
1: Um, So I think what drew me to holiday rom-coms was the fact that it was so unapologetically straight. All these tropes, all these things, and they were becoming so popular. Yeah. you know, the lesbian and queer female community were sort of like on the edge of their seat waiting for their story to be told, waiting for all those wonderful, fun, cheesy tropes to be with two women instead of a man and a woman. Right. And so that's when, you know, we kind of came in and we were like, let's do the first one. Where there's, you know, and the gay characters had either been part of an ensemble or side characters, so we really did the first one where it was like, these are are the leads, it's two women, and here's the story. And we used all the same tropes, and the tropes cut across, you know, gender. And, um, And so I think because it was such, it's becoming such an institution, and there wasn't representation, so we... So, you know, it was really a blue ocean situation where it was like, no one was really doing it. So let's jump in. And now what we found is we get all this mainstream press that our projects would never normally get. But because everyone does a list each year, of all the LGBTQ holiday rom-coms, we've been listed in publications that is an indie movie with our budget you would never be listed in. Right. And so that's really exciting and, and just really cool um, to kind of get that kind of recognition and, uh, and, and be listed amongst, you know, the Netflix movies, the, the Hallmark, the Lifetime. And, you know, there was last year, it was on Christmas at the Ranch on Antella. There we were listed right among the big streamers. And I'm, I'm hoping for the same thing this year for DivaBoxOffice.tv, that because Mary Gay is coming out, because it's one of the few LGBTQ holiday rom-coms. And I have an amazing publicist um, that will get listed. And so I think that's why it's just, they're so fun. They're just so fun.
0: Yeah, I love the trailers. The trailers are are fun and um, definitely indie trailers, but but fun. You can get a sense of the character. It is, I don't know if ironic is the right word. I don't want to fall into a a Alanis Morissette trap bear trap for for my language but uh it feels ironic that now um you're doing something risky by making a rom-com because of the way that sort of tent poles have taken over theaters um there are there isn't a lot of risk being put into a rom-com anymore um even if it has jennifer lopez and matthew mcconaughey in it or Owen Wilson. Yeah. It's still a little bit dangerous it feels like for the movie industry in general um especially if the destination the first exploitation window is going to be theater. So now here you are doing sort of riskier films just based on, you know, genre alone. Um I think that's that's kind of that's kind of cool. I I don't want to forget the second part of that question which is are any of these stories Auto uh, autobiography. Oh, yes,
1: I'm sorry. Yes, um, you know, not sh- straight up autobiographical. There's a lot of so um, season of love. Definitely not. Um, that one was written by an amazing writer named Kat Trammell. and you know, there th- those are like just super unique, wonderful um, stories. I hate New Year's. Um, is 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 based on. You know, it's two, pe- two people running around Nashville on New Year's evening. Um, one person's trying to find her ex-girlfriend. Now, I've never done that, but I have run around Nashville on New Year's, hopping from bar to bar and, and seeing some amazing live music. Um, and uh, in, a, in a car that's, you know, we had a, we ended up getting a couple years in a row getting a limo, and so that was definitely sort of like, you know, what I did on New Year's. Uh, you know, I just went around and, and went to different bars and had fun. And so it was sort of like, okay, well, let's have someone chasing and trying to find someone at, yeah. at all these places. So that's the piece of, um, I hate New Year's. It's autobiographically and Christmas at the ranch. The piece that is very much me with Christmas at the ranch is how close I am to my family. So my, so me, is a representation of my, my granny Ruth. Um, and I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm close to my sister and we don't live in the same town. And so the, the siblings in their relationship. Um, so I think that anytime you have a, a positive family representation, that definitely um, comes from my, my family and, and, and how close we all are. Um, and and gay um, also has like these, you'll see they have these two super fun meddling moms. Um, and, and I think, again, that sort of warm supportive family um, comes from, comes from my family. And then some of the, some of the dialogue um, between the two lead characters, it uh, is not strictly picked up from conversations that I had with my, some of my exes, but they were uh, inspired by. So when I would, when I would think about the, the dialogue and some of the conflict and, and, and the feelings around things, I would think of some of my ex-girlfriends. So, so it's, it's, Again, not word for word, but there's a lot of influence. I should say
0: in in all of it. yeah, and that means to me that the story is just going to be told better. You know, that's that's all. That's all that means yeah. to me is like now you're invested. You've got skin in the game in, in in terms of the 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 storytelling and the filmmaking because you know it's. I always go back to this quote by Lauren Hill where she said, "Everybody knows the art, how the art should look and feel in their mind." And the trick is trying to get it to be identical, to mirror it in the real world. And you just keep carving away at the art until it resembles the thing you thought was so compelling in your mind, right? Uh, Same can be said of your ideas, you know, an idea that won't leave you alone. You know, if it's looking the way it's supposed to look, you know, if it's operating the way you thought about it in that sort of genesis of the and development of the idea. And when you're not hitting that, it's really frustrating as an entrepreneur, for sure.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah, yeah. I heard an opinion you gave on the Making Movies is Hard podcast. Shout out to those guys. Uh, yeah. About short films. Um, they just, they're not that they're dead, but that they are m- maybe, from a financial standpoint, a mistake on arrival. And I heard you mention um, Quibi. As well, just like, you know, Quibi, you know, massive failure from a year or two ago, you know, it was a pandemic baby, a lot of money put into it and it didn't pan out. But I think, but there, I think the, the thinking around that financial decision and that business decision was watching TikTok, watching Instagram and watching YouTube. YouTube has just doubled down on short content. They've just doubled down on it. like it's what they want you to post now. So as filmmakers, yeah. how do we how do we make sense of the fact that we can make a short film and it not really be an advantageous path for um, for ROI and financial success? Yet we see that every single day, people are basically making short films and putting them on YouTube, TikTok and Instagram and some percentage of them are making money doing so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I think, I think, you know, I think my thought process around the short, the short film commentary was, was kind of more around like investors mm-hmm. and, 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 it's that if, if you're going after investors, short film is not, not the place to have them put their money. Um, but if you want to do crowdfunding, if you want to save, save your pennies and, you know, go and make a short, you can absolutely make, make money on it. If you get enough views on, you know, on, on YouTube or, you know, a, any of the other AVODs that are probably looking for content as well. There's absolute space that you can make money. But I would say it's, it's, a, it's dangerous if you're going after investors and you have a short film um, to try and make money. I think short films are fantastic because they're a great learning, training ground, proving ground for a, a, a concept to know who your crew could be and should be. Um, it's a great place for you to make mistakes. I mean, I did 10 years of web series content Mm-hmm. that's what, and I, you know, I was putting it up on Tello. So, I mean, that was a way, you know, and I was able to make more because of of subscriber um, revenue that was coming in, but I never, ever had an investor come in until I was making a feature. Yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's the space I think. And even, you know, I, I, I know people who did crowdfunding campaign, you know, raised $7,000 to make the short, You know, we did the festival route. The film did really well on the festival route. It did get, you know, a small distribution on an AVOD and made some money. Um, But yeah, so I think the commentary around that was like, don't do shorts, just it's not a place for, I think it's a dangerous spot for investor money.
0: Yeah, Um, I completely agree. Like our, we don't even call it investment. So when we've made shorts, we just call it a donation. Like We have no... yes. Like we will, or we're an angel to you. Like we're not even an angel investor. We're just somebody who's going to fund your short film because we want to be long on you as talent, right? Like, so we think your stock yeah. is trading at two bucks a share now, but it's going to trade at 200 bucks a share in 10 years. So we'll we'll give you some money to make a short film and see if you prove our concept correct. I also think YouTube should change its monetization standard. I'm sure YouTube doesn't think it should because it's doing just fine and and it is pro YouTube. But what gets we had a filmmaker on um, uh, Kaylee Bailey, who has a film on um, YouTube that has 17 million views. But it can't get monetization because she herself doesn't have 10,000 plus subscribers. And what? Right. And so. I think their monetization should be based on view count, not subscriber count. And so what they did to protect themselves against random virality, they said, okay, you might have a viral video, but we don't have to pay you unless, you know, you have a base of, of followers that can prove that X amount of people are going to see your video, even though it's viral, so that we can take that data back to our advertisers And so I think it's really difficult because you might make a beautiful short film that a lot of people watch, but if you don't have that subscriber base, you can't monetize. So just a pet peeve of mine. And then I think the other thing too is, is, and maybe this is what Katzenberg didn't understand to your point, is that there's two different types of films being made in the short space. So one is the narrative short feature where you're using filmmaking tactics that are tried and true you're trying to tell a story from beginning to end. I mean, that's a classic short film, and what we see happening in short space on TikTok, IG, YouTube, etc., is are really comedy skits. They're not, yes.
1: They're,
0: yes, they're not films. They they are short, but they're, but they're really just comedy bits. I think that's why one of their moonshots was to buy the rights to Punked. And because it felt like, oh, punk is just a show full of these short comedy skits that people will laugh at and and are funny and we'll have Chance the Rapper hosted and it'll be great. Um, Their timing on Chance the Rapper was really bad because he was, he had bad PR at that time in his own community. So they didn't know that, right? That's where, that's where you're doing something and you're not authentic. So you didn't even know what the score was, right? So, um, just a couple of thoughts about, about short content. Uh, you're sitting in the Delta lounge in LAX right now. Uh, you do split time between Los Angeles and Nashville. I did the same thing before the pandemic quite a bit. Uh, what advantages do you derive from each film community? If you could like compare and contrast Mm -hmm. Nashville to film in, in, in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. So um, my very first projects I shot in LA
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and uh, because I was like, well, everyone's there and these are like super indie and they were shorts. And so I could kind of fly, you know, under, under a lot of the the radar needed that um, for insurance and film permits and, you know, all those things. And, but as soon as I did my first feature, oh boy, the cost went way up um, for all the things to shoot, to film in LA. And so that's when I was like, I looked at my numbers and I thought, you know, I need to, I need to look at Nashville, which is also where I have my, my home. Um, It's a right to work state, which makes the union piece much more um, for indies, much more cost-effective. The locations are so much cheaper and workman's comp is so much cheaper. So, I mean, I, I cover, you know, I have a safe set. I have you know, I have all the things that you need to, but it's just significantly less expensive than Nashville. And now that I've built what I call my film family, um, I have found people who will work for my indie rate who just all love each other, who love making content. And my, because I can get so many pages done in a day, my shoots, instead of, you know, a lot of features, a lot of indie features are 20-some-odd days, which is mm-hmm. still a short time. Mine are 12. So I can get um, every single one of the features that you have mentioned were all shot in 12 days. Um, I think, mean, well, Season of Love was 14, excuse me. But all the other ones... Close,
0: close. close enough to the hole.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, so that makes their a bit, you know, So I'm not wasting someone's time for a very small rate, like they can afford in between their gigs that pay them a lot more to come and and play with me. And like I said, they they all love each other so much and they get along and they love making these projects. So, and it took me a lot of years to find my film family in Nashville, but um, you know that's kind of where I am now. Uh, And I'm really, really lucky to have an incredibly supportive group. And when I fly people in from LA, they all love coming to Nashville. They're just like, oh my gosh, we love Nashville. Yes, we, I want to go. Like, so Nashville is a great, a very attractive city for people who want to visit as well, which is really nice. Um, yeah. So that's what I derive from from Nashville is just people who are passionate. I have my group there. We can get locations for much uh, for cheaper. Workman's comp, you know, all the insurance pieces, SAG—they're all less expensive there. Um, and then, and then LA, you know, listen, I was just, the reason I was here is because I was taking meetings with people in the industry last night. I just had this amazing dinner. I'm looking at getting a movie um, picked up and financed and it is it a very big food component and the chef was in town. So I had a catered dinner and a wine tasting all cooked by this award winning amazing chef who is also in the movie. And I had, you know, a producer who, Um, is an Oscar winning producer. I had financiers who make movies. I had, you know, distributors. There were 12 people. We had an absolute blast. That's what I'm able to do in LA. Take the meetings with the people who can finance things, who can get things distributed. Um, You know, my sales agent is here. Um, And so it's really important to have face-to-face in my mind with people um and so I'm I tend to be out in Los Angeles. It's it's about and what it's ending up to be is every other month for about 10 days. Um and I'm really okay. lucky that I have amazing yeah, I have amazing friends with these great houses that have happened to have extra rooms that they're kind enough to let me stay in. So, you know, I'm not spending like a ton of money on a hotel or an Airbnb and you know. So again it's it's that it's that indie mentality right like i need to be in la how can i scrappy scrappy dude do it and um you know get in front of people and make sure that they remember who i am
0: look at you Kristen baker
1: <laughs> and dining
0: and schmoozing people
1: man it was so Chris i gotta tell you i felt
0: very fancy like i was like <laughs> I mean, i'm like jealous i wasn't traffic. there now
1: dude i was like what, what <laughs> You know, and like my friend whose house hosted it is a, is a, does mezzanine financing and is just an amazing guy and like helped me bring together people. And I was just, it was just incredible. And we had a blast and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this, but it's stuff like that. It's like so mm-hmm. cool. You know,
0: I've always yeah. loved the term mezzanine financing because all that happened was people started using the word bridge financing too much. So to differentiate, they changed <laughs> to the mezzanine. <laughs> And it's the same thing. It's like you perspire. Yeah. I swear. It is.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's you're right. That's you a good run. Reason. I sprint. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We did this a little differently. Yeah. Semantics. Yeah, but yeah, we had an LA training the other night, and I was able to invite a bunch of people, and you know, so it's just stuff like that that I think is important to do. And and since I'm a member of the academy and the PGA, like you. There's all these amazing FYC events that we get invited to, so I try and come yep. out
0: for those as well. I want to go to the Christmas party on the 30th for the PGA. I don't know if I'm going to make it out there. I'd love to go. Maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, maybe I'll talk to you offline about that. Possibly, if, okay. you, if you were going to schmooze, like you had to schmooze somebody from LA oh, in Nashville. I'm so bad.
1: Go ahead. Where,
0: where would you? Where oh, would you take oh, them? If I
1: had to schmooze. Oh, oh, I Broadway. I would take them down to, cause there's over like at any given time, there's 50 live bands playing down in, on Broadway. You just walk down and they're all live bands. And Great. so what you can do is like, and I know the time to go cause there could be like real, I mean, I love Broadway and Nashville, but man, they can get drunk and debaucherous.
0: It's crazy. And so it's, it's Tom oh square, gosh, but still. for like, um, I don't know, Southern Country. people. Yeah.
1: Country music. Yeah. So, you know, I know the bars you go to that have like, in my mind, the best bands and going at a time that's like reasonable, like, like a Tuesday, like a Monday or a Tuesday at two o'clock, you can see some of the most amazing music. It's not wall to wall packed. Um, you can really enjoy it. You can sit in the spot for a little bit. So I would definitely, I'm also a member of Soho House um, yeah, in Nashville. That's just fantastic. Yeah, we'll so, go to Soho um,
0: together soon.
1: Let's go to Soho; that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I would take him to Soho House because it's a really lovely atmosphere, and then we we and that's close to downtown Nashville, and yep. then definitely take him down to uh, down to Broadway and hit some of the just classic uh, classic places um, that are just steeped in, in country history. So that's oh. that's how I'd move. I love
0: idea. yeah, I love that idea. Those are all wonderful recommendations, and. I just screened the Leonard Cohen documentary there at Soho house. That thing will hit you in the throat about six different times. And, um, they do, they do a good job with those screens. They're, they're not movies. You can, you can see, you know, everywhere. So so kudos to the folks in London that, that run Soho house. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this script writing contest that you ran. And I think this is, this is genius. So you ran a script writing contest to finance your movies. Let's talk about it. How did, how did it work?
1: Well, it's it's not yeah No, the script writing contest doesn't finance the movies. It oh. just, on re, yeah, they, it doesn't finance the movie. I mean, we don't make that much on it. Um, it just affords us the ability to find really cool ideas.
0: I was going to say, because um, I-, I thought it was like a four, I thought it had a, a double-edged sword effect where you were raising capital, but then you also got to find your next movie.
1: I mean, it raises a little bit of capital, but I think we charged $25 for a pitch. I mean, so it, it wasn't, you know, we're not getting a thousand pitches, which wouldn't even fund a movie. Right. I mean, even if it's like 25 bucks a pitch, we got a thousand pitches That's $25,000 doesn't go fund a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And, not and not, the, a, not really a great the, one. Re- right and the reason we charge is really because um we just want we want people who are serious and i think mm. anyone who's going to put 25 and it's a lot of time on my part and someone else's part who i who i need to pay to kind of go through the pitches but yeah so it was it was just a way for us to uh to to get some ideas um and 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 also kind of lift up people in the community who weren't professional writers. Um, and so we got, we ended up getting three great scripts from three amazing writers and now they have a credit and they have, you know, something to point to so that if, if they want to keep writing and proof that like, Hey man, you have a good idea. So it's hopefully giving them a little confidence. Um, so that's why we did, it's called pitch to production, pitch, and, uh, pitch probably, to
0: production. Okay. So
1: pitch to production. So, and we haven't, we've done that contest for web series as well. And, you know, we haven't made most of them that have won, but we do give a hundred dollars to the winners. Um, And then we'll, and if they're serious about wanting to make it, we'll kind of, um, you know, look at, look at either helping them make it or, you know, again, if it's these scripts, we'll go and and find, find the funding for it. So yeah, we got the three from, from our pitch to production holiday rom-com.
0: Yeah. I think that's great. It actually does end up having sort of a knock on effect too, because it's like you have the, the type of film you're looking for script you're looking for. So you're giving a platform to people whose scripts might not have a platform otherwise as well. So
1: exactly. Exactly. I
0: I, I love that. What can we expect from box uh, diva box office TV? So the, the, my big hairy
1: audacious goal around Diva box office TV is to make it um, a, um, a hub for original lesbian and queer content. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to have licensed from, you know, older older content that, that you know, um, is, is out there in the world that people know and love. We're going to have that on deep of the TV, But we're also going to have some fantastic originals that you can't find anywhere else. And then eventually, I want to make enough with subscriptions and rent-or-buy revenue that we're able to do four original pieces a year, four original features, or maybe TV shows, like maybe a series. And then I want to be able to fund other lesbian content to the tune of 250, 50,0 000 a year. So that we can support these stories that you know we want to be like a like a like a mini, you know, Netflix or Amazon that are funding original content. Not that just I make and direct, but that other people make and direct well. And, and even putting like, like how you support shorts, you know, funding $10,000 towards someone short that comes on the site. So, you know, I want to be, I want to grow this big enough. And I, you know, the thing about Tello is I was never able to quite get it big enough to do for a year and support the other pieces that, that, that I wanted to. And I'm, I'm coming into divaboxoffice.tv, you know, smarter. Um, I made, I made the mistakes. I'm coming at like, I'm going after investors right now. And, and the focus is, you know, how can your seed money help us make these four originals and then get to a point where people are just, you know, the subscriber base is large enough, the the renter buys are large enough, that we're just like funding um, some amazing content for the community.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of what Tosca Musk is doing with Passion Flicks. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. actually she does a lot of the rom-coms too, I don't know. Splinter in your mind kind of thing. Uh, maybe there's a partnership down the line between you two amazing women and um you can love a good partnership,
1: man. Yeah. Love it. I mean, yes, right? Like, you know, all boats rise with the tide, you know? And and the more the more smart minds you can get in the room, you you just can't go wrong with that. You know what I mean?
0: How does absolutely. How does the rev share work? So if I had a film on, Mm -hmm. you know, Diva box office TV, how how would that rev share work if I'm a filmmaker?
1: Yeah. So we actually just right now we're doing straight up licensing. So depending on the territory, depending on how old the movie is, how many stars you have um, we're doing anywhere from $500 to 2000 for just a straight up licensing fee for 18 months.
0: Got it. Got it. Very, very good. And what, and just, and this doesn't have to be a long answer, but what qualifies a film yeah. to be a, a lesbian no, that's or a, queer film? Does it have to be pro yeah. or can there just be a storyline?
1: Um, you know, it really depends on how how big um, the, the storyline is okay. um, in the movie. So, so we really want the leads, um, if at all possible. But if it's sort of like a family drama or a family comedy and one couple is a lesbian couple, um, we we would consider it. Got it. So it really just, yeah, it's kind of, it just depends, um, really. But the lesbian can't die in the end. And if it's like a love triangle that's like a bisexual love triangle, um, the person needs to end up with the lesbian uh, in the end.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. Got it. I've never heard the phrase the lesbian can't die. That's I'm going to write that a down problem. in quotes. Yeah, There's a big
1: problem. Yeah. If you look at a, the hashtag representation matters in 2016, there were like all these lesbian characters killed off on television.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. This is like one step beyond the Bechdel test. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. yeah I, I like
0: yeah. this. Um, what are the two best pieces of advice you've received in your career so far and who did they come from?
1: Uh, so best two. Um, I had a, I, I was meeting with the producer one time and he, I was telling him kind of some of my frustrations and, you know, like um, how like, uh, you know, I, I, at the time, like I wasn't, you know, nothing was like really hitting mainstream wise. And, and uh, he just looked at me and he goes, he said, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh-huh. He said, you're making a difference and it's, it's going to happen and just keep doing what you're doing and don't give up. And it was yeah. like, that's the thing I needed to hear at that time. And I was like, you know what? I, I do, Okay. Like, yeah, I do need to keep And it just, and it was a straight white dude, you know, and he was like, you're just doing important things. And so keep going. And, um, and, uh, so, so that was really nice. And I think, you know, it was, it's not, it's not necessarily anything that like they said, but I just know that, um, I feel so much love and support from my parents and and my, um, extended family that, um, that, that gives me the, the courage and the confidence to to know that I can pursue what I'm doing and I have I have support from the you know the people who like love me the most.
0: Do you know of any um, optimal way to find a mentor? Did you have a mentor that and, and if so how did, did you find him? Yeah so I had um, well my,
1: my you know just just it's like it, in the, sometimes in the most bizarre ways I think my first mentor was, was Nancy Lee Myatt who you know really just kind of showed me what it's like to be how to, how to be on a set and that was just through you know networking and meeting and, and she's, she's a lesbian and um, a fantastic um, writer um, but the, the strangest mentor I actually found in a Delta Lounge and there was something <laughs> it was this guy and I looked at him and I was like, you know, I, I need to talk to this guy. And I didn't know why, but my intuition told me. And he had gone up to get, go to the bathroom. And he goes, hey, would you mind watching my laptop and my phone and my stuff while I go to the bathroom? And I said, yes, if someone comes to steal your stuff, which is more important, the laptop or the phone? And I just kind of made a joke and he like <laughs> stopped for a minute. And he was like, the laptop. I was like, okay, cool. And of course nothing happened. But when he came back, it was just that opening to strike up a conversation. And he was, he worked in the medical field and he raised money from DC companies um, and, and like biotech. And he was like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a lesbian filmmaker. And he's this like super conservative Mormon white dude. And I just said to him, like, can we stay in contact? I was like, and he ended up becoming my mentor in how I pitch to investors. He was oh, wow. a huge help in a huge part and, like, talked to me for an hour, gave me the tips, gave me, like, strategies he uses um, and was, like, look, sent me one of his pitch decks. and It was for, like, a cancer drug. But then I was able to kind of look at it and formulate my pitch deck based on his pitch deck. And then he reviewed mine, and I did a practice pitch, and... So it was just sometimes you don't know when and where you're going to meet people, but I would say, you know, listen to your gut, listen to your intuition.
0: Yeah. And you've been successful with it. You've had investors that stick with you and roll their ROI into your next films. And so, so kudos to to you for having the courage to just be affable and not be judgmental and and, and not be concerned with being judged either. When you uh, mentioned what he asked you to do, I immediately thought about the Larry David situation he puts you in. Uh because <laughs> the question is, is if someone leaves you with their laptop and phone, what is your time obligation? Like can they be gone an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well he like I said, it was been to lounge and he was going to the bathroom. So yeah. I knew I knew like, it was it was okay.
0: If he was gone an hour, Kristen, would you have taken his phone and laptop with you or would you have just left it there?
1: I would have left it. Really? And I would just put, put a note. was like, I had to get to my airplane. It was here when I, you know, when I left. <laughs> I would have left it out.
0: I, I would have wrote You're a post post airplane, note that says, do not, steal. Like, do not steal. Do not steal. Oh, a that's note.
1: a good one. That's a good one. I'm totally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it reminds me of this this old this old parable about the this old man that dies and he's like a he's a printer right he's a print shop mm-hmm. and he gives it to his son and and the son's like running the business and way way in the back um, he sees a box that says do not open and he wants to honor his father who just died so he doesn't open the box right he does the anti Brad Pitt in Seven. And he doesn't open uh-huh. the box. And so, but but it's eating at him, just like that idea you talked about earlier in the conversation. It's like, it's eating at him, this box. So five years goes by and he finally, it's just like, he breaks down. His will is depleted, Kristen. And he goes to the back and he decides he's going to open the box, okay? And he takes the lid off, opens the box. And what's inside is a bunch of labels that say, do not open. <laughs> that's awesome yeah i mean so i think the point of that is that there's a thing that's in the box that we fear and then we open the box and find out there was nothing to be scared of or that we had like the complete wrong intuition about what would be in the box anyway and we were more or less projecting our feelings onto the situation versus the other way around yeah. uh anyway which which creators do you most admire and want to emulate and what do they do from a technical and skill standpoint yeah. that makes their work stand apart in your in your mind
1: yeah so um i think i i i, I really appreciate hattie jenkins mm. um and her first wonder woman i think was inspired um and i think the the way she directed that with the humor and the strong, you know, female component and like these fantastic action sequences. I, just, I think the first Wonder Woman is phenomenal and I mm-hmm. love what she did with it. Um, and so I think, you know, I really, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that she's not taking on one of the Star Warses or she you know, she was supposed to. And then so I, I would have been really interested to see, see what she did with that. Um, I think Greta Gerwig's storytelling Mm-hmm. is phenomenal. I think what she was able to do with Little Women and the way she told that story um, with a new and different take on this classic that we've seen over and over again, I think was absolutely inspired. Um, so I love kind of her um, her thought process.
0: Yeah, um, two, two, I, two giants right there.
1: Yeah, and I think my third, um, I think Taika Waititi, Um, his Jojo Rabbit, I think is one of the greatest pieces of film ever. Um, and, And I, and I think Thor Ragnarok is the best. Marvel of, of any of them. Um, you know, obviously none of these are perfect filmmakers, right? Like we're not perfect filmmakers. We can't, we can't hit it out of the park every single time, but I think just the way they look at the way those three look at storytelling, um, uh, humor and just the, just their cinematic vision um, is I, I I very much admire them.
0: Yeah, Jojo Rabbit's one of those movies that does this incredibly rare thing where your heart swells and your eyes water at the same time. Oh, it's and like
1: you're you're getting punched in the gut and, and laughing.
0: Yeah, yeah, phenomenal, Jojo's. phenomenal yeah. movie. By the way, Wonder Woman was huge in my house when i was growing up my sister loved wonder woman like the tv show yeah which i'm dating myself oh, yeah. now but just this idea that a woman Same. can wrap you in lasso and make you tell the truth the audacity
1: right totally
0: <laughs> you don't want to hear the truth from me like i think if women knew the type of depravity that goes on in a man's mind on a regular basis a sane man not an insane or violent one or even a weird one, just a regular guy. You wouldn't want to know the truth. right? You'd drop that lasso. Right, 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 <laughs>
1: right, right. La, la,
0: la, la, la. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you've seen newcomers making? So of the, I know you have a, a non-mercenary crew, but I'm sure you run into some people who are new to the business, either in the PA space or just around you in filmmaking.
1: I think not knowing where to spend the money mm-hmm. is the... Uh, is can be a big, a big problem. And I think some people really push you to want to spend it in places that, that don't, yeah, trying to figure out where the best ROI is. Yeah. And I think that's where you can do that in a short. You know, you can really figure out where's the best ROI. And that's why shorts are really important. Um, I also think some filmmakers go into filmmaking not. Thinking not not focused on getting the investors money back. Um, they they you know some people I think kind of are like oh they you know they they have money and it's okay if they don't get it back they don't really care that much.
0: Oh my god! I think that's you so have true. to let
1: investors know that's the most important thing, and you have to know that that's the most the second most important thing. I was telling my investors I said I have two goals when I make a movie. Number one is to make a really great movie, tell a great story. Uh, that has an impact on a positive impact in any way on the community. And the second thing is to get your money back.
0: Yeah. It's so, it's so true. I've I've they'll never you'll never get it out of them. But I've been lucky enough to be a fly on the wall and just here's the sentiment of some of these filmmakers, which is like, you know, I just want to make my thing. If they don't make their money back, they they're like, you know, like almost demonizing the person who helped you make the thing that you you made in some cases. Um, it's a, it's a really unusual defense mechanism if that's what it is, or, or or take around not, you know, making an ROIable film. Um, so I thank you for saying that if you had one month to teach someone how to direct a film, what would be the first three things you teach them? I know you've done some adjunct professoring.
1: Yeah
0: what would be the first three things you teach somebody who is net new to directing?
1: Gosh, you know, I think, I think, and again, I don't know how you teach this, but I'll tell you kind of the the, the things that I think are really important. I I think number one, the director sets the tone on any, on any film. Mm -hmm. And I think making sure every single, if at all possible, every single crew person on an indie movie feels valued and is thanked for coming back to set each day. I think, I think having that person understand um, everyone is, is there for the same purpose and to make a movie and how to make everyone feel good about being there. Um, I think the, the second piece, I'm very much an actor's director, so I love working with the actors. It's my favorite thing in the whole, whole entire world. I leave the, the camera angles and movement and all that to my DP, who, who I trust implicitly. Yes. Um, so I would, I would say to them, figure out what kind of director are you? Are you an actor's director? Are you more going for the cinematic look? Are you going for the, you know, the framing? And, and there's not a wrong thing, but I would say, what are you? And then, you know, really, and if you're an actor's director, thinking about how to work best with the actors to get the performance that you want from them, what are some small things that you can do, you know, that that create that scene and that performance? Um, and then um, I think the second thing is... Um, you know, no to, to to again, kind of teaching someone, knowing when you can slow down, mm. and knowing when you when you when you need to kind of pick up the pace. You mm-hmm. know, understanding so that you're not bringing people, forcing people into 17 hour days, 15 hour days.
0: Right. Getting people into Friday days. Um, so for those listening at home, number one is set the tone of the set. Number two is connect with the actors to get the best performances possible. And number three is understanding pacing. You heard it from Kristen Baker first. Kristen, you've been so valuable to me in this conversation. I've learned so much. I'm sure you've been valuable to the audience as well. And you've also, thank you, generous with your time, hanging out at a lounge, uh, giving us a little bit of your time. I only have a few more questions and I'll, I'll get you out of here. Uh, has, I think you're the right person to ask this question, has Google and Bing and other search engines, have, have they solved the false connection between LGBTQIA content and porn? They
1: have not. I still have that problem today.
0: Where did that connection start? Why is there a, why <laughs> is there educate me? Why is there a connection between.
1: Chris, if I could, if I could tell you, I, I. I I can help Google and Bing solve it. We still cannot. They will, Bing will not let us use or not. Let, we have to fight every single time to use the search term "lesbian movie" or "lesbian film." They flag it because they say it's it's porn. And all you have to do is go to Tello and or you know it was Tello, and then eventually divaboxoffice.tv TV to know that's not what we're making right and and you know obviously the porn sites are are, are you know kind of a fault for this and and i don't know how they sneak all that stuff in but they do and it's absolutely infuriating because it it has such a negative impact on our ability to market to the community it's it's absolutely infuriating
0: i'm a huge free speech pro- proponent and i'm a proponent of artists but i will say that porn is one of the last bastions of just overt racism and misogyny because they can actually put the racism and misogyny and bigotry in the title which is the reason you want to click on it and because of that you suffer as a filmmaker trying to like basically what being in google are telling you is that you can't take your advantage, right? Your blue ocean. And by the way, for those who didn't know what Kristen meant by blue ocean earlier, blue ocean is a place without competitors versus a red ocean, which is a place that's bloody. The water's bloody with competitors. Yeah, yeah, So you have very few competitors in this space, but you can't use your competitive advantage without being connected to porn because, and so it's almost like they're saying, Hey, just say it's a rom-com then, but then you lose your, your branding edge, right?
1: It's like I said, it's incredibly frustrating, just incredibly frustrating. And, and I wish there was some smart AI way to figure it out, but.
0: Well, the truth is there is a smart way, AI way to do it because the AI can review your content in seconds and see that there's no sex scenes. They Mm -hmm. can actually identify body parts, things like that. But the question is, will they deploy those things and is it a big enough problem to get on their radar? So sounds like we need a petition and a letter written to eric schmidt do. or something and i find
1: uh, it every time
0: yeah we gotta we gotta figure it out um i know it's important for you personally to serve the lgbtq community with you with those genre specific films but is there are there any stories that uh, you'd love to tell that aren't lgbtq yeah
1: i have i've written a few that um that are, are not, um, LGBTQ. Um, you know, I think that, that, that does tend to be a lot of what I, I, I have, but I do have a few stories, um, that might have, you know, lesbians as side characters, or, you know, I have, I I do actually have a Christmas one that doesn't have any lesbians in in it at all. So, I mean, it's definitely out there, um, if someone, you know, wants to hire me or says, Hey, do you have a, do you have a this? Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: I'd love to read uh, any stuff you have anyway. And so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, sure. Can you tell this audience and myself where we can find you on social media, on the internet and where we can even see some of your work, even though you've repeated that sort of ad nauseum already?
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, well, so here's the cool thing. Um, I Hate New Year's, I believe, is on Amazon,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and it's on Films. Um, Season of Love is on Films. Christmas at the Ranch is currently on Tubi. Um, it might be in some other, other places. Um, um, I, social media-wise, am Kristen, I N Telo, on Instagram and um, Twitter. And on Facebook, uh, you can find me at divaboxoffice.tv. And then there's also divaboxoffice on both Twitter and Instagram as well.
0: All right. Expect some follows here uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm already following you on Instagram. And everyone in the audience, please Uh, do likewise. Yep. Love it. Thank you. Please support Kristen Baker and all that she does. Uh, We'll end on this. Uh, what in the world is bubble waffle ice cream?
1: Oh, <laughs> you can find that in London. Um, it's amazing. Um, and they take a, like a waffle and they make it like, imagine like, you know, a waffle cone, but make yeah. it thick and squishy. And then they take ice cream and it's warm. So they take ice cream and they put it in there. And oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's incredible.
0: Does it so does it doesn't feel gross in your mouth like when you have that squishy waffle and then you have that cold squishy ice cream or
1: I like I like kind of a cold squishy waffle, but it doesn't, <laughs> if you eat it fast enough, if you eat it fast enough, you can you you get these two fantastic textures. It's yeah. just really, really lovely.
0: You know? It feels like the key to that is the same key to chicken and waffles, which like if you go to a bad mm. chicken and waffle place, what they give you is bad waffles. Cause they're like, well, what do we need a good yes. waffle for? It's just there to soak right. up the good chicken juice and the syrup. No, you have to make right. that waffle incredible. And my guess is if you want bubble waffle ice cream to be great, that waffle has to be able, has to be strong enough to stand on its own but yet, better united with ice cream. Yes. You yes. know what I mean. Yeah, so, I, think, anyway. I think.
1: it's yeah. I, I like I said, I'm a big fan of the of the sort of like the cold ice cream with the kind of melty waffle. So I, I was, <laughs> it was amazing.
0: <laughs> well, not as amazing as you, Kristen. This has been a blast. It's been so much fun. I really do Thank hope you, that we get to get together uh the next time you're in nashville Uh, i'm happy to to go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do and i am um hoping for a safe flight for you and
1: thank
0: you yep and and i'm hoping we can do a round two at some time uh, at some point in the future and even work together creatively so
1: i would love that i would love that so much and yes that's we'll meet up we'll talk all things creative and and i'm sure there's some synergies for you and i as well and great content
0: so so many synergies kristen be good and uh talk to you soon thank you friend take care
1: you too bye
0: bye hey gang one more thing before you go i want to talk to you about indie insights Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them. Not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So, join today at www.bonsaifilm. It just takes a few seconds, and once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails. Just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, we hope not. But if you do, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So, one more time, go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights for free. And thank you for listening.